With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. From the pages of the DRaysBay.com blog, welcome to The Hit Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Hit Show. Wow, this is a very, very special augmented additional cast. Uh, I am Dustin, and I'm the producer of the podcast. You normally hear uh, Danny Russell and Darby Robinson in this space, but I'm here because we had a member of our very own staff on the D-Rays Bay blog attending the All-Star Game, and we wanted to get that news and experience back to you. Joining me is newly minted, press credential attendee <laughs> to the 2017 All-Star Game, Brett Phillips. Brett, welcome back to The Hit Show. Hi, thanks for having me again. <laughs> uh, always a pleasure to have you. And uh, wow, so you were uh, representing the blog at the All-Star Game uh, as credentialed media. That, is that correct? Yeah, they say every blog gets one representative, and I was the representative this year, voted in by the fans. So Voted in by the fans. Well, wow, those are the same folks who are listening to this. So thank you to those fans. And as a reward for that, we're going to talk a lot about your experience being there, meeting some of the players, in fact, getting some audio uh, from some of the Rays players that we'll have a little bit later in the cast. Uh, I just got to ask, from from not just from the journalism perspective, but from the fan perspective, what was it like to be there in, in, in the atmosphere of the All-Star Game and the festivities around it? I got to tell you, Dustin, I've always wanted to go to an All-Star Game, and I'm so happy that I got to go to an All-Star Game in Miami because not only was – the whole experience just incredible and amazing, but the whole atmosphere sounded was just like a, it was a party. It was a giant party in the city of Miami. You might have heard like other sports writers talk about it, say, oh, Miami sure knows how to put on a show. My goodness, is it ever true? The whole thing from the second we got there to the moment we left was unbelievable. And if anyone else gets the chance to do it, hopefully at some point the Rays will host an all-star game in the future. Mm-hmm. the far future maybe but if it happens you've got to find a way to get there because honestly if you're a baseball fan it's something you got to do that's that's exciting and i'm looking forward to doing that myself personally someday 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 but uh <laughs> so so thankfully you you live or you're in the tampa area so it was just a jaunt across the peninsula to to get down to miami and then uh once you got there what was what was the process of, of sort of like getting all your credentials kind of getting in and having uh access that press members will have for the, for yeah, like I, this. I ended up, we, I live in Tampa, so it was only about a four, four and a half hour drive. And the second we got there, we basically found a place to park and we paid $30 to park right next to the stadium and it was well worth it. But we ended up sort of getting the press credentials is a lot easier than maybe you think it might be. You walk up to the ticket counter, like you're buying a ticket and they give you an envelope full of everything that you'll ever need. And I got my envelope and we walked right into the stadium and right onto the field. And the whole walking through sort of the um, the underground of Marlins Park is a very 
different experience than walking on top of it. I'm sure it's true in any stadium, whereas the top is, you know, full of concession stands and colors. The under the underbelly of the stadium is very kind of dark and there's a lot of brick buildings and you feel like you're, you know, running wild and like loose in some construction site. But the whole as soon as you get onto the field, the whole experience is just overwhelming. Wow. And is this the first time you've actually been in Marlins Park or have you been over to see games previously? A couple of years ago, the Rays played at Marlins Park, I think in 2015, the year after it opened, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I went there once, uh, went there for early day game and the roof was open and it was beautiful out. I'm a big fan of that park. I love how even though it's a big stadium, I think it's one of the smaller capacity stadiums in Major League Baseball. And the whole exp- all the seats are very, very close. Hmm. Wow. Even the ones on the second, even the ones on the second level, seem very, very close to the action. And when I was sitting up there watching the Futures game, the Home Run Derby, and the All Star game, it you really felt a lot closer to the action than you know nosebleeds in New Yankee Stadium, which I have also happened to <laughs> be at. <laughs> so I got, I have to ask you, Brett, the the statue, that ugly statue, uh, my opinion, ugly <laughs> statue in center field, uh, mm-hmm. is it as ugly in person? That's the thing. I think the statue is charming. I honestly do. It's so ridiculous and so out there. You can't help but just sort of love it in a weird way, like this crazy, lovable statue. The worst part is that the, the, the almost the unforgivable thing in the entire All-Star game is that they did not keep the statue on when anyone hit a home run. Because when the Marlins hit a home run, they light the statue up and they play music or something. They didn't do it when Robinson Cano hit a home run or when Yadier Molina hit a home run in the All-Star game. And it was tragic. (laughs) Okay. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you. The Marlins statue in center field or, Uh and and I don't, you may not have seen this in person, or the Durham Bulls home run hit bull get stake at the Dome, at the Durham Bulls Athletic Park, which of right. these is which of these is better? Better? Oh my God! Well, I mean, the Marlins. I I just have a soft spot in my heart for the Marlins' uh, ridiculous statue. But if we're gonna go just like objectively better, <laughs> it has to be the Durham Bulls. I mean, not only is it classic thanks to the movie, but it just kind of fits in with the whole blue monster of that stadium. I have actually been to DBAP. I saw Matt Moore pitch when he was still uh, AAA. He, I think that was the day he threw 11 or 12 strikeouts or something in mm. some August game. Great. Awesome game. Yeah, I saw Corey but, My, or Will Myers. Sorry, I was going to say Corey Dickerson, but no, I saw Will Myers <laughs> knock a bunch of them out, out of that park as well and I approve of your uh, your choice here, just not just from the, mm-hmm. the traditional spec, but also the impact to the to the race, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, so we're in Miami. We've got our credentials. We're on the field, and I think uh, in our warm up ahead of time, you were talking about the kind of access that you had allowed you to go into the dugout, allowed you to be on the field when uh, batting practice was being taken. Uh, what what was that experience like? So the batting practice for the Futures game, um, you know, you put yourself kind of in my headspace. I'm a blogger. I write for the <laughs> I write for D-Rays Bay. I'm stand, I'm standing next to people like Ken Rosenthal, who, you know, 
these these outstanding titans of the sports writing community. And I'm looking around and I see all these people with cameras on the field at the Futures game. And I'm trying to make myself as small as I possibly can. <laughs> I don't want to get in anyone's way. I'm like, oh, what if I accidentally walk in the way of someone's shot and they kick me out of the stadium and they never let me watch baseball again? <laughs> I was so worried. But I did manage to get a very brief interview with Lucius Fox. And I got to tell you, interviewing Lucius Fox, I wrote about it on the D-Rays Bay blog where I talked about how Lucius I, – I called him the Futures Game Personified. And that's a very kind of like heady and very grandiose headline. Mm -hmm. But I meant it because interviewing Lucius Fox was kind of an incredible experience. And and I think you had commented that he was quite quite the charming fellow. But uh, what what was it like, and and what was the substance generally? I know you wrote an article about this on the blog that folks can check out. But just uh, in a summary, like, did you learn anything exciting or interesting about uh, about Lucius that you didn't know? One of my favorite things that he told me, um, in between him being like impossibly, incredibly charming and confident. Like I, I fell in love with the guy instantly. He's like my new favorite player, I think. <laughs> um, but one of the things that he told me that was really interesting is, well, he comes from the Bahamas. He's from Nassau, the capital of the Bahamas. And bah baseball is not a very popular sport in the Bahamas. It's mostly cricket. It's or those other kinds of like, you know, in America, like second tier sports that we don't really consider as much. Tennis is another example. Now that I'm calling tennis second tier, I don't want to insult anyone on like Wimbledon <laughs> week or whatever. But definitely it's not of the, any of the big four. And Lucius Fox told me that he had never heard of the game of baseball until he was in um, physical education in, I want to say, elementary school. And his coach was trying to get a, bat a baseball team together. And he said, you, Lucius, go play third base. And he tells me he never played the game before, but as soon as he stepped onto the field, he said he loved it. He fell in love with the thing, and he likes playing third base, and he wanted to do it for the, you know, he wanted to push himself and do it for the rest of his life. That's what he told me. Wow, that's amazing. And to think that somebody would come to the game that late, uh, considering how players start so young in, mm -hmm. in the U.S., uh, that's amazing. That's that's really incredible that he's actually made it as far as he has and speaks to his talent and, and potential. So that's outstanding. So you mentioned uh, that you were at the Futures game, the Home Run Derby. Of course, you were at the All-Star game. Let's, let's start and talk a bit about, uh, about the Futures game. Uh, Brent Honeywell pitched in that game. Uh, what, what was that experience like and, and, and what, uh, what, what was the experience of watching Honeywell pitch in that sort of a setting uh, like for you? Well, it was really great at first for sure because I only learned – I was a little behind everyone else. I only learned that Honeywell was going to actually start the game probably – two hours before the game actually happened. I was trying to figure out and when he was going to start, and then I you know, wasn't looking at Twitter, and then all of a sudden I heard from Mark Topkin, oh, he's actually going to start the game. So that was exciting. Ah. But seeing, um, yeah, seeing Honeywell pitch, it, it's, it, it was interesting because I was sitting in the second deck at Marlins Park, way down by the first base foul pole. It was a little hard to see the action as far away from I was, but as I was, but one of the things that Honeywell really, really had that you could even tell from the second level of Marlins Park is he had crazy movement on his pitch. It was unbelievable. Mm. I want to say that Honeywell started the game at least on the 
the gun on the park, he it started him. He was at like I want to say ninety eight or ninety seven. He was amped up. Honeywell was pitching like crazy, and I didn't actually see the famous screwball until later on. But you could see even from the second deck the kind of bite that his slider and his changeup had. It was inc- it was really incredible. Big league pitcher, big league players like Yon Moncada were swinging through it. Wow. That's outstanding. And uh, he did admit, actually, I saw one of the interviews where he did admit to throwing the screwball uh, at least one, at once and uh, looked, looked quite impressive. I'm, I'm really excited to see him come up for the Rays and, and pitch at the big league level. And, yeah, uh, one of the things – oh, sorry. No, go ahead. What, one of the things that Honeywell said that I thought was really interesting after the game when we interviewed him, Mark Topkin asked him, hey uh, – did you throw that screwball? And he said, yeah, I threw it once. I only threw it one time because uh, I knew it wasn't going to look any better than it looked right there on TV. So I figured I would just let that lie. <laughs> you know, it's funny. He's got an air about him. And you can kind of pick that up when you when you see him interviewed. He's pitching with a lot of confidence right now. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, we need we need to see that kind of stuff from from our up and coming players. Yeah, I love how he has the mindset of a bulldog, even though he hasn't even set foot in the majors yet. It's really exciting to see. He also, also he's just fun. He's like a goober. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, well, how do you mean? He's just this, I mean, he's, uh, when we interviewed him, he was just very friendly. He was making jokes. He seemed very confident and it's a different kind of confidence than it's not arrogance. It's confidence. He's comfortable in the setting that he is in right now. He doesn't look overwhelmed by everything. Surely pitching in the futures game is probably, well, I can't say surely, but it's got to be one of the most stressful and one of the biggest crowds that he has pitched in front of. And he took it all in stride and he wasn't overwhelmed by the whole thing. And it was to have a pitcher in your staff that is fine with these big moments is, I mean, it's always a great, a great thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, I think you uh, hit it on the head there. Now, I know that uh, the they have uh, focused media days where all of the players are available to the press uh, to, to be interviewed uh, and, and, to, and to basically kind of have discussions. Maybe people are asking them about how they're enjoying the, the experience of being at the All-Star Game, etc. Uh, and before we came on the air, we were talking a little bit about how you got into position uh, to, to get to get your interview, you might, the, tell us tell us the story. Yeah, so um, the way that they do it is they have the uh, NL All Stars interviewed first, and then they clear the field, and they do the AL All Stars next. I didn't really have many questions for any of the NL All Stars, but one thing that I really wanted to do is to get interviews with Corey Dickerson and Chris Archer. <clears throat> so as soon as we got onto the field for the NL All Star. Uh, interviews. They basically told everyone, all right, press, clear the field. Please get off the field so we can switch the signs around and move players. And I went, oh, geez, I don't want to have to wait in line behind all of these capital J journalists, all these sports writers. I'm going to sneak in behind the left field foul pole and wait it out in the bullpen. Ah. So that is exactly what I did. I went behind the uh, one of the I technically cleared the field, so I obeyed the letter of the law. If not the intent. And I went into the left field bullpen where there was a, a guard kind of standing there and I didn't immediately get ushered out. So I thought, ah, eh, this is probably fine. But one thing that happened right after that, 
I, th- I mean, I can only presume, but a lot of sports writers must have seen me walk into the left field bullpen and people started following me. <laughs> and before long, before long, we have this steady stream of reporters and cameramen walking into this giant cavernous bullpen. And there's a lot of room in there. And I saw, and, and it's hard too, because I don't know if you have ever seen it, but the door to the bullpen, when you walk onto the field is not very wide. It's about the width of two of me standing side by side. So I'm kind of like, People are walking past me to walk more into the bullpen, but I'm standing right by that door on the inside, and I'm trying to get myself as small as I possibly can as guys from Fox Sports 1 walk in with giant cameras and reporters are all dressed up. And I'm like trying to squeeze my way in here, and no one's telling me to move, so I'm like, I'm not going to move. So <laughs> That's awesome. It was boy. good. It worked it worked out well, and after 20 minutes of that, I was able to walk out onto the field before any other person uh, and I made a beeline for the Tampa Bay Rays section over on the other side of the field. So that was good. That was technically that was my one scoop of the day. Yeah, sounds like you exploited ballpark uh, inefficiencies in the same way that uh, <laughs> in a Moneyball context. And waiting uh, is the extra two percent. The extra two percent. That's right. The, the extra two percent of the ballpark. And and so <laughs> you you actually got to to speak at length with uh, with Corey Dickerson. I did. Yeah, I really got I got to talk with Corey Dickerson. Um, it was funny. Corey Dickerson, uh, I was we were the first ones to walk over there and actually talk to him. And it's pretty easy to see, you know, he, he's a major league baseball player. He's been in high pressure situations before and he wasn't completely overwhelmed with it all like I was. But you could tell he was looking around being like, man, how in the world did I get here? How did it happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so similar to your uh, your feeling when you walked out onto the field after getting your credentials, right? That's exactly. He was way more subdued and confident than I was, but for sure he had a look in his eye. I was like, "Oh man!" Of course, then his first interview that he he does in his All Star game is with like some guy, from <laughs> some guy who's it's not Mark Topkin, it's not Ken Rosenthal, it's like some guy from. D Rays Bay, and I'm like, I have all these questions for him. <laughs> That's right, and we actually have the audio of that interview. So let's uh, let's jump over and listen to Brett Phillips interviewing Corey Dickerson at the 2017 MLB All Star Game. Hi, Corey. How are you doing, man? In Tampa. Very nice to meet you, Brett Phillips. I work for D Rays Bay. Nice to meet you, Corey. I figured we'd just ask you a couple of sure. questions. Um, and um, I'm going to start off with. Um, I guess first and foremost, you got to figure when you were a kid, this is this has got to be a childhood dream. Is this is this as good as it gets for you so far? Yeah, this is it. Um, it's really special. It's pretty cool. Uh, you know, getting to see all these guys uh, that you play against that are stars in this league, and uh, it's it's pretty hectic. Also, um, trying to balance family and um, you know baseball activities in a small period of time, but it's awesome. I can't you know describe it. Are you are you um are you pretty much just soaking it all like the whole atmosphere of your first All Star game? So so far, like what what are your goals for this game? Goal is to have fun with these guys and uh, really get to know them, pick uh, pick their brains. You know, the best players are you know at my disposal to talk to and uh, you know get to know um, and have fun. Uh, that's what it's about. Is you know you got rewarded for a good first half. Is now it's. You know, it is a break, but we are trying to win the ball game, but try to have fun with these guys. 
we're from Tampa, so we follow you pretty closely. And you, you're you're kind of a scientist of the game. I mean, we've heard that you're really into the science of hitting itself. And I guess my question in terms of that is, how does your approach differ this year from last year, or is it pretty much the same? Because obviously something's happened from last year to this year for you to turn the corner. Can you pinpoint it? Well, I've had really good years in the past. Almost, you know, this year's a little better than the one in 14, but it was one of my best years. And, um, you know, when I got traded over, I was coming off injuries, uh, you know, missed half the year. I was trying, I felt like I didn't miss any at-bats, and I really have. I, I had to make up those at-bats. and. When I started to struggle, I was searching. I was trying to find what word, what you know. I was trying to change instead of be myself. Um, at the end of the season, I started to be myself, and you know, being with the team the second year, being in the division for the second year has really made me grow and uh, feel more comfortable. On that idea of being yourself and sticking to that, you're one of the more aggressive power hitters in baseball, but you still manage to make a ton of contact, especially on pitches outside the zone. Mm -hmm. Does your approach differ with two strikes, or do you kind of stay consistent with it all the way through? Yeah, it always differs. I think about counts, uh, what pitches may come in counts. That's the reason why I have a two-strike approach that I will use sometimes and sometimes I won't, depending mm -hmm. on uh, the pitcher's you know, best pitches. Are they Would they... <laughs> really good pitchers or they mediocre pitchers and that's how I kind of adjust uh, my swing but yeah I, I call myself hand and aquanation I'm able to reach pitches touch pitches that a lot of people can't so I got to use my tools the best way possible. Brad Mills upstairs said that uh, he loved how you take a lot of pitches and you get deep into counts are you going to take a different approach during the game or are you going to stick with it? I have no idea I don't even know who I'll face yet uh -huh. you know it might be Scherzer it might be anybody so you know, I'm looking to have fun and have my same approach when I get in the box is, you know, get a good pitch to hit and uh, try to put a good swing on it. It's more, you got to keep it simple, uh, especially when you might only get one, two at bats. Uh, you really try not to overthink it. And last question, you're the fourth Ray ever voted into the game uh, by the fans, and a lot of that support came from the Colorado Rockies region where you used to play. What does it mean to you that you get that kind of support, not just in the Tampa Bay area, but nationwide? It's really cool. It's, it's, it shows how great the fans are that really pay attention to the game uh, they understand numbers and uh, guys having good years and uh, it helped me get here it helped me be able to participate in this game today and I'm very thankful for every fan that voted for me. Awesome. How's the personality of this team differ from any other team I mean as I think back from race teams I mean there's there's yeah. definitely a camaraderie there that we haven't seen in a few years what's it like out there? It's unbelievable I, I feel like uh, you know this is definitely the funnest team that I've played for and I think it's because we all know each other from another year, but we keep adding guys that fit to our, our mold, and you know we're really good friends inside the clubhouse, and it really shows on the field. Uh, we play well together. We're not scared to call each other out, and uh, you know I feel like we can grow on that and uh, keep building. And Brett, outstanding work. I gotta say, you asked the hard questions. Uh, <laughs> Corey Dickerson was a super cool and awesome guy. And uh, any any final comments about the experience of getting to, to chat with him for a bit? Just that he was uh, very friendly and very open to the kind of little more insidery questions I asked him about. Like, oh, you're aggressive, but also you make a lot of contact. And he took it in stride. And he was just a very, very uh, friendly guy. And I'm, I hope that I, I don't sound as scared on the phone. <laughs> I don't sound as scared in the interview than I felt. So. <laughs> Awesome. So then, uh, then after that came 
uh, one of the one of the big events of the weekend. Obviously, the game is is the the crown jewel, but the home run derby, something that people have been looking forward to since uh, Madison Bumgarner last season had indicated his interest in participating in the home run derby as a pitcher. And uh, <laughs> I got to ask, so what? Tell us about tell us about being at the derby, uh, what you saw, and just what uh, what it was, what it felt like to to be in that in that building. Yeah, I got to say. Out of all the three things, the three days, the, the Futures Game Day, the Home Run Derby Day, and the All-Star Game Day, by far, the Home Run Derby was the most, was the best one of the three. I had, not only, not only were there so many narratives to talk about and so much to write about, but I just had the most fun as a fan. The Home Run Derby was incredible. Um the, one of the coolest things about where we were sitting when we did the home run, when we were sitting watching the home run derby, we were on the second level, and we kind of had like a uh, like a perpendicular view to the outfield and the batter. We were sort of at a ninety degree angle from everyone. So if you've ever seen, have you ever seen the um, home run tracker where you've got the guy hitting the ball and it says, oh, this is the exit velocity and this is the maximum height and this is the total distance that you have that mm-hmm. the home run goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Have. Every, Every single home run that we saw in the home run derby basically looked exactly like that because of the angle of the seats that we were at. Wow. That's pretty incredible. So you, you kind of could tell off the bat, for the most part, how far something was going to go, how hard it was hit, how even how high you were going to get. It, the, the perspective that we had from those seats were – Amazing. I mean, people will talk about wanting to get outfield seats in the, you know, so you can catch something for a home run derby. Maybe you'll catch a ball. Maybe you'll catch a ball. Aaron Judge hits 500 feet. But if you want to get the best overall view of the state of the action on field, I there's nothing better in the world than like those first base or third base second level seats. Mm-hmm. And what uh, was there any surprises to you? I mean, obviously everyone wanted to. Uh see what Aaron Judge was going to do. But uh, a lot of really uh, amazing hitters there. Justin Bauer actually represented himself pretty well uh, for the home for the home crowd uh, in the in the first rounds as well. Yeah, Bauer was amazing. Um, Yeah, he 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 drew kind of a hard first round against Aaron Judge. And I I feel (laughs) bad. But at the same time, I don't because Bauer went first and he went on a run of just hitting consecutive back-to-back home runs. I want to say he hit six or seven to right field. And, you know, him playing in his home park, the entire stadium was absolutely electric. It was incredible. And I don't know if you saw, but Bohr, if anything, should be like a WWE hype man if he retires at some point. Because he was getting the crowd pumped up during his timeout. He was waving his arms and telling people, yeah, let's go, let's go. And everyone responded. And it was incredible. And he ended up with, I want to say, uh, twenty. was it 22 home runs? I, I lost count after 20. It was just a whole incredible experience. Yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. You'd think he'd know how to hit. And to your point about him being the hype man, I caught, uh, so living in San Francisco, the, the Marlins were here just, just before, and I caught the game. And Bohr was making fans in the crowd by chucking baseballs up into the second and into the third levels to the fans in between <laughs> innings. So, and he was trying to get people excited. He was playing to the crowd. Uh, in other words, it was no surprise to me to see him in that kind of a context uh, on the on the on the TV for the Derby. So, uh, and I guess you know one of the questions that they 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 added well. So the timeouts 
Uh, could you kind of sense that these guys were getting gassed when just before they took timeouts? Would you notice that anything like that in the swings or was there any indication that they were starting to slow down a bit? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that was the main thing that happened with Bohr in the first uh, in the first round is he might have just totally gassed himself doing that. And, you know, people don't you know, it's hard to think about it, but the home run derby really is sort of like a conditioning Thing. I mean, I, I I go to the batting cages sometimes. After 15 swings of weak ground balls back to the pitcher, I'm gassed. And it's it's hard to hit balls that far. And you could definitely tell, especially um, in the – with Corey Blackman and uh, – what was it? Bellinger. It might have been Corey Blackman and Bellinger. Mm-hmm. You could tell by the uh, second round or even at the end of the first round that these guys were – you know, making relatively more weak contact, hitting the f- more pop-ups, sort of missing the barrel of the bats. Um, that was a little tricky. To, you, you could really tell that they were having trouble with that. But one guy who did not have any trouble with that, obviously, was Aaron Judge. Yeah, for sure. And what was what was the atmosphere like as he was ripping bomb after bomb out, out of the park? I mean... Uh, you know, he's doing things that, that we even in games that, that we haven't seen before. Uh, I'm just curious, how did it feel and what was the reaction of the of the crowd? It was fun um, in the beginning, for sure, whether it was because he was up against Boar or whether it's because he's a Yankee. I'm not sure, but a lot of people were booing him. A lot of people were booing Aaron Judge. Uh, I I don't mind people booing him for sure. You got to boo the Yankees when you can. But I also think that there's something very likable about Aaron judge. He carries himself well, and he's just a very, you know, relatively he's 26 or 25. He's relatively young and exciting ball player, but for sure the fans were, were booing him at first, but when he was hitting balls over that home, that beautiful home run sculpture in left center, (laughs) you could tell that people were like, all right, I want to see more Aaron judge. I want to see more of this now. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. And so, so now maybe you've seen upwards of four, 500 uh, feet oh, man. Over, or higher home runs. Is that is that right? That's right. I, I, I never thought I would see a ball hit 500 feet, even like online, even on MLB.com video or something. They, everyone always gets close. It's always like 490 or, you know, Joey Gallo hits a ball to the moon and it doesn't quite go 500. But Aaron Judge hit four balls over 500 feet. The longest was 513. I... You knew the second he hit the ball for his the, his longest one, the 513 moon shot, you knew that that was just – it was going to go over 500 feet without certainty. And it's amazing because I had never seen anything like that. I had never seen a 500-foot home run in my life, and yet – 45 seconds after I had seen my first one, I knew that something that it was going to happen again. Yeah, it was it was just just to see him hit. I mean, you know, it's hard to explain, but to see those balls just fly off his bat and just they never like they don't seem to be affected by gravity. They never go down. It's really it's honestly it's incredible. Wow. And and now I have a I have a weird question for you, because. Uh, I watched from home. Actually, we recorded the other episode of the podcast. Uh, Darby and Danny put everything on hold, and uh, and and we recorded uh, the er- the podcast earlier in the week. And nice. and what's going on during the TV timeouts? That's what I want to know. What, what what were they doing? What were they doing to keep the the energy high? Was there any type of was it just advertising or standard ballpark stuff, or was there anything special that was for the folks who were in in attendance? 
That's a good question. Um, they did have some kind of like pump up baseball stuff. They had a DJ who would play songs and they would show people on camera and try to get them to um, – there was well, they had one thing where they uh, had something called a dragon cam and they would get people in the stands to open their mouths and as soon as they did, it was like a Snapchat filter. As soon as they did, <laughs> fuck, they would shoot out of their mouths. That was pretty cool. Um, awesome. But one thing, one thing they did – I don't know if this was on the TV telecast, but they did – uh, a high school home run derby. Did that come through? Uh, I did not see that. Maybe there was a couple clips of it, but uh, okay. yeah, they were using aluminum bats. I think I saw that. Yeah, they were using aluminum bats, and that was, you know, it, it, that was kind of a cool thing. I think both of the rounds lasted two minutes or something, so they were shorter. But, it, it, you know, it's it's funny to go from, you know, monsters hitting balls 440 feet with wood bats to see, like, high schoolers who have tons of power, like, smacking balls with aluminum. I mean, I don't know if you've ever, you know, really sat down and watched the College World Series, but the pins, yeah. that pin sound is is very... You 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 don't you don't get used to it when you're when you watch only the MLB. Um, but it was really cool to see that. You know that those those high schoolers were having the time of their lives. Yeah, when when they really belt one, that ping has a a equivalently satisfying sound to an appropriately driven golf ball off the tee. And I, I don't <laughs> I don't a, know if, I don't know if you're big into golf, but that sound of like ping. You know, it's it's not the same tone. I don't mean to like compare them other than from the sense of satisfaction that you get when you hear them. That's a great comparison, actually. Yeah, yeah I do. I know exactly what you talk about. Cool. So any any last thoughts here on, on the Derby? Just that the Derby was by far the best of the three things. Um, I mean, I, you know, you've seen an all-star game on TV for sure. But seeing the Home Run Derby from a different perspective than a TV uh, perspective – you know, you don't have to deal with announcers if you don't like that. You just get to see home run balls in their purest form. At like you can see them at like a perpendicular angle and be surrounded by this electric Miami crowd. Honestly, it was, it's one of those things that I might even, you know, credentials or not, I might be going to Nationals Park next year to watch the home run derby. So awesome, awesome. Okay, well, so I guess let's move on to uh, the All Star Game itself. Uh, obviously the highlight, uh, one of the highlights of, of the event, the main reason why we're there to watch the best play against the best. Now they've kind of moved us back. There's the rule change, uh, making the all-star game not count as, as the, uh, the, the home field advantage for the league that, that takes this down. Uh, a good thing. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think generally most, some fans don't think that's a good thing, but you know, when you've got. You know, uh, you know, rest in peace, Jose Fernandez, uh, giving David Ortiz pitches to hit last year, or Adam Wainwright grooving pitches to Jeter. It it kind of reinforces the the exhibition and just sort of the celebration of these awesome players and this awesome game, as opposed to trying to like get them to grit their teeth and and try to eke out a win. But nevertheless, this game actually ended up being ridiculously tight. <laughs> it did. So yeah, it really did. It was a, a real pitcher's show for the first four or five innings or what have you. Yeah. Chris Sale is, you know, a dynamo. He's incredible. And Max Scherzer, I mean, those, those two guys are, are wonderful. Um, I uh, do remember, you know, wishing that there had been a little more offense, um, especially in an all-star game. Uh, it's hard to say because certainly, you know, 
the Rays for the longest time are built on pitching and whatever. But when you go to an exhibition, there's something wonderful. I mean, maybe it's just also the home run derby hangover. But I really wanted to see balls get hit really far and for people to have like a lot of you know success and for it to be one of those eight to seven you know nine inning affairs that were wonderful. And the All Star game, don't get me wrong, was incredible. It was amazing. But I also uh, – the early parts of it were relatively slower than the show that we had been shown the night before. Yeah, and I, did you by any chance see Nelson Cruz uh, stop the game when he posed for the photo with uh, Joe West? I did actually. It was weird. I wasn't able I – was, I was kind of far away and I could not see what was going on. I thought that Nelson Cruz and Joe West were just like having a nice conversation and then I saw Yadier Molina kind of get down on a knee and I'm like, what is he proposing to Nelson Cruz? I'm so confused. And then I look at the little TVs that they have stationed all along the second row and I see that he has a phone. And I'm like, oh my God, what a perfect way to stop an all-star game to take a picture with the umpire. What's crazy is where is he keeping his phone? Like where would a catcher who's having balls actively thrown at him at nearly 100 miles an hour, you know, where would he keep that phone? It's crazy. I think it might have been Ben Nelson Cruz's phone, uh, but your point is still your point still is true. I mean, where's he? You know, is he if he slides somewhere, he's going to shatter his nice phone. What are you doing, man? Come on. <laughs> so we went into extra innings, which uh, has happened before in all star all star game history. Not not common. It's usually more of a of a bit of a blowout. But uh, how how did it feel? Uh, you know, as as it became very clear that the game was going into extra innings, you could kind of tell that the crowd was. Um, uh, not antsy by any stretch, but I mean, kind of confused, I guess I, for sure. I, I had never seen personally, I've never seen an all-star game that has gone into extra innings. I know plenty did, but I've never actually, you know, sat down and watched one that did. And I remember thinking for, I had this moment of where I was like, ah, they, they don't stop the game after nine. They're gonna have to go extra innings, but then what if they run out of pitchers? Who's going to pitch? Is Chris Archer going to pitch two innings? I don't want him to pitch two innings. It's his bullpen day or something. <laughs> and you can kind of get that sense from the people in the crowd. They were like – there was this sort of um, – like I, I can't really explain it other than just sort of mimicking it. There was kind of this like, oh, oh this general – I'm sure that sounds great on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there was this sort of like unease, like, is this really happening? Is this what we're going to get today? And then I think when the final out in the bottom of the ninth happened um, – Everyone was like, well, now what do we do? There's even more baseball. Yeah, usually people are cheering for free baseball. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was interesting. And I remember thinking, too, you know, the game is, you know, it's a 10-inning game, but it, I think it ended around, it was about three hours and 10, 20 minutes. And that's, you know, that's shorter than the average Rays game this year. Yeah, and we didn't have any of the uh, particular time-saving devices that MLB is evaluating uh, present in this game, but uh, yeah, it seems like it moved along pretty quickly, and that includes all those timeouts uh, for, mm -hmm. for yeah, it, def it definitely was a, a rel like a faster All Star game, which I did appreciate. Some of that certainly was uh, the relative lack of offense, even though there were two home runs, of course, in the game. Uh, but yeah, all in all, it was it was. I mean, it was very very smooth. One thing that happened too that was very uh, surprisingly powerful was the stand up to cancer portion uh, uh -huh. during the um after the boy i don't know which inning it was but towards the end of the game uh -huh. surprisingly moving uh everyone i'm sure it was on the telecast but everyone if you had it 
either stood up or held up a piece of paper that said who uh, someone in their life that they had lost to cancer. And the whole stadium kind of just went silent. It was almost as though everyone was taking a, a moment of silence for someone who had died, which, of course, is what many of them were doing. And it was surprisingly powerful. I had I you don't when people stand up in a in a baseball stadium, it's usually because they're something wonderful happened and they're cheering or because it's the national anthem and people are singing or people are paying respects or what have you. But to see everyone stand up and be silent in a in a sold out crowd in a major league baseball game was uh, was eerie, but in a, in a powerful way. Yeah, definitely in a powerful way. And to close this out on a positive note, speaking of standing up, uh, what was it like to be there for the seventh inning stretch? <laughs> that was nice too. Uh, one thing they teach you in the, in the auxiliary press box though, is, um, in the press box, which, which I've, I've, I, I've, I, I learned and then had to unlearn in the home run derby, but they tell you not to react to the game. Uh, which is very difficult. Certainly, it makes sense. People are doing their jobs, and they want to have a you know an easy sort of work environment. But I mean, it's difficult when you Robinson Cano hits a tenth inning home run to put the AL on top, and you kind of let out an involuntary woo. Oh, sorry, everyone. Oh my gosh, like it, you, you kind of get that sort of thing. Uh huh. Um, but yeah, it was uh, the the press box was good. Uh, most people in the press box did not stand for the seventh inning stretch, which I feel like is baseball is a baseball crime, don't you think? I, I think so. I mean, yes, you're a professional there. You're there to to journalize what's going on and and to cover the event. But uh, there's something deep in I hope most of those those journalists' hearts that made them want to cover baseball. I mean, some of them might be there through lack of choice or or otherwise, but. Deep down, maybe they're not fans. I mean, I've heard, I've heard, uh, you know, the uh, the guys from uh, Fangraphs, and I've heard, uh, of course, Keith Law talk about not really being being a fan of baseball, but not a fan of a team. And I can understand that mindset. But really, it's the seventh inning stretch. It's take me out to the the ball game, and you really, uh, I think you can make a little break in your your armor for for a couple seconds just to think about the game and appreciate the moment. That's how I feel about it too. You hit it spot on. Well, then you know you know that you and I are not destined to be professional journalists long term. <laughs> I'm I am not going to be a professional anything. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Brett, uh, any any closing thoughts about your overall experience uh, at the at the All Star Game? Anything that you want to say as we as we wrap up here? Just the the chance to be able to go onto the field for batting practice and the chance to see one of the greatest home run derbies uh, probably that's ever happened in the history of the game. I, it's something that I'm never going to forget. And if you get the chance to go out to an all-star game, I know it's very difficult and not everyone can just do that. But if it ever crosses your path and somewhere down the road, I, I cannot recommend it enough. It's one of those things where everyone's having a good time. It's a wonderful experience and everyone is there just to make, you know, make you happy and just have a, a wonderful it's a great experience that it, it's baseball almost at its purest. Fantastic. Well, all right. Thank you, Brett, for repping the blog and, uh, and of course, Tampa Bay and, and all of the Rays fans who listen to the hit show. Uh, we will be back next week at our regular time uh, covering everything with the Rays and Danny and Darby will be back. And uh, perhaps another time in the future, Brett and I will rejoin. So uh, that's it for now. And we'll see you next time on the hit show. 
The Hit Show is produced and engineered by Dustin Klingman. Make sure to check out all the newest and latest news about the Rays on DRaysBay.com. Check us out at DRaysBay on Twitter and, of course, DRaysBay on Facebook.